We are in Acts 8 as we go through the books of the New Testament and the order in which they were written. And a major pivot and change in the book of Acts is unfolding in chapter 8. From now on, it's going to be mainly the Acts of Paul. Before this, it was the Acts of Peter and John, and the apostles would get a mention usually as a group. You know, Peter and the apostles, Peter and John and the apostles. They were not lesser by any stretch, but the person who's recording this history, Luke, is recording a history where he is with the sources he has. And when he gets to chapter 8, something changes in the history of the church, and Luke then gets to be an eyewitness, not just a historian, but a historian who is an eyewitness of events. And we will go from a, very often, from a they to a we. And then later on, there will be a marked time where we becomes they again. So you'll see Luke moving in and out of the story. He never changes the story, but he moves in and out of it. And um, just an amazing, amazing historian. If you want to know more about Luke and what historians think about Luke, these are secular, uh, not Christian apologists at all. These are secular historians. You might want to read a little book by the Irish mathematician John Lennox, L-E-N-N-O-X, called Gunning for God. Gunning for God. Anything John Lennox writes is worth reading, but in particular, he deals with Luke, the resurrection, and how historians view Luke's testimony. It's really, really good, and it's not hard to read. I actually got it on Audible Books as well as the hard copy. I do that with very few books, um, but that one, it was good enough to do that one. So there we are. We are in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26. We've just left Peter, uh, and again, we really have left Peter at this stage. Just left Peter and kind of an over-the-top reaction to Simon the sorcerer. So you're caught up now. Verse 26, now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south on the road, the, the desert road that runs between Gaza, uh, Jerusalem and Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. And by the way, Candace is how it's usually pronounced. I think it's supposed to be Candace, but I'm not really sure. And there are a couple of problems with trying to be certain. And that is, we're not sure which Ethiopia this is talking about. We've, we've discussed this before, but for those who are late coming to the story or who just came because they wanted this passage, uh, the people of that area, the, the Middle East, referred to a lot of places as Ethiopia, not just the one that we think of today on the Horn of Africa. It could include a lot of East Africa, North Africa. It could even include lands south and east of um, Israel, Jordan, um, modern-day Iraq. It really just kind of meant a well over there for them. We believe, since where he's headed is south through Gaza, that this is going to be somewhere in Saudi Arabia or more likely somewhere in North or Northeast Africa. So 
we don't know which linguist I can't even say the word now, linguistic group this name uh, comes from so let's just call her Candace all right now this guy was Queen's treasurer you got to trust your treasurer a lot if you let him go that far to another country to worship so this is a very special fellow now he is a eunuch that means that he has been neutered um, believe it or not some people did that to themselves uh, and I won't try to explain that but very often whenever you were captured and let's say you were an intellectual or you were a member of the royal family which generally meant that you also had been educated if they captured a tribe like this they would neuter the men and have the men then serve them it was just a sign that you know we're your boss now uh, and we own your people we've neutered you literally well uh, and if there are little kids in the room don't worry that's as that's as graphic as I'm getting uh, probably should have said that earlier anyway this man uh, who we could call the tween, uh, the Queen's treasure but we always call him the Ethiopian eunuch uh, here he is riding down in his chariot he'd gone to Jerusalem to worship uh, there have always been Jews resident in North Africa and to a lesser extent East Africa uh, if you remember there's a right to return to the nation of Israel and if you can show that you are a Jew by religion or by blood you have the right to return there and if you've ever been there you know that there is a rather large and substantial number of Ethiopians there especially when they went through their famine and civil wars they're in another one now but back in the 80s uh, Israel sent planes to bring back plainful after plainful of them and give them residence in Israel so the story has gone on from some distance on his he was on his way home sitting in his chariot and reading the book of Isaiah the prophet the Spirit told Philip go to that chariot stay near it a couple of things I just want to point out for those of you that wonder how to tell people about Jesus my response is always to love people till they ask you why but to do that you're going to have to maneuver yourself notice the uh, spirit sent Philip on a road that went from here to there but he met this Ethiopian eunuch as he was on the way so he wasn't in Gaza he hadn't made the trip he wasn't sitting in Gaza wondering all right why am I here as he's moving he meets this other person be aware of who you are meeting and seeing on the way as C.S. Lewis put it it is generally in the interruptions that you will find God now that can aggravate me to death frankly because I have a big long set of things I have to do in any given day and then I get an interruption a phone call an email a knock on the door and I am um, I'm not gonna say I'm just like you because I'm probably worse you know my, my schedule gets all messed up I'm just going oh yeah and that's inside most of the time sometimes I'm sadly I let that outside and I have to constantly be reminded that I don't own time I have no time God is in charge of time and I'm not Philip that this is one of those lessons because as he's on the way he might be thinking I can't, I can't bother with this guy because I got to get to Gaza but he was aware and kept his eyes open then the Spirit told 
Philip. And on the old versions, it would say to join yourself to that chariot. But the words really do mean what the NIV of 2011 here says, and that is just stay near. Whenever there's an issue, there might be a need, just kind of pull alongside, be in the area for when I need you. So Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So he's reading aloud. I find that interesting because I don't read aloud when I'm on my own. It's very likely that this man was reading it so that others could hear it, which makes what happens even more interesting, frankly. Now, when we think of chariots, we usually think of the old Ben-Hur type chariots in the old movies where it's basically room for one guy to stand and he's got his hands on the reins with a bunch of horses. But chariots back then could be rather large, almost wagons, um, well, actually even wagons, where there would be a seating area and there would be the driver and there would be two or three people seated and then you'd perhaps have a guard riding as well as guards on each side and you better believe this guy had guards. You did not take this road without substantial number of armed people to protect you, especially if you're a government official and your clothes and chariot show that you've got more than a couple of coins to rub together. So it's a rather large vehicle, maybe pulled by as many as four horses. Uh, that would be very common back in the day. Philip goes up and says, do you understand what you're reading? And the, the eunuch here turns to him and he goes, how, how can I? I mean, how is that even possible unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So this is one of those very substantial chariot slash wagons that had a seating area. So come sit with me. Let's, let's put a pause here and let's talk about a lie. Um, it's not really a lie and I don't wanna, wanna get into this. The opposite of truth is not a lie. The opposite of truth is falsehood. Falsehood means something that you say which is factually wrong. Uh, and it, it's not a lie necessarily. A lie is something that you tell knowing it's wrong for your own motivations, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, and if you don't know what I mean by that, we can send in a question to info, Patrick, um, uh, info, sorry, at rsafeharbor.com or patrick at rsafeharbor.com and we'll, maybe we'll do a special video on that, okay? Regardless, here's something I was told all my life. I'm not sure I ever taught it, but I might have. And that was that any honest person could pick up the Bible and read it and get to where we were religiously. Completely, factually devoid and wrong. Just couldn't. They'd never come up with where my tribe was on music or how we did communion or, you know, these little cups and little bits and dribs and drabs. They'd never come up with that. They never come up with our buildings and our pouring money into pews and carpets and windows and <coughs> all facing forward and making Christianity a spectator sport. No, they wouldn't come up with any of that. And in fact, some parts of the Bible are desperately difficult. I had a, recently a man I, I love and I trust come up to me and he he read me from Second Peter, 
about the baptism for the dead. And he goes, now, what do you think that means? I looked at him and I said, it doesn't matter what I think it means. Nobody knows exactly what that means. And that distressed him because he had the answer. It was the same answer I was given as a young man growing up. But I said, you know, I've read a lot of commentaries. I've read a lot of articles on this, a lot of uh, opinion pieces on this. Nobody agrees with each other. Uh, it's, a, it's a hard thing. And by the way, Peter complained, not complained, but he mentioned that some of the things Paul wrote were very hard to understand. To both of them, I would say, have you met Ezekiel? Uh, Ezekiel is almost impenetrable, and that's why a lot of the modern-day prophets, seers and sayers, will run back there and grab things and say this. I now know what this means. And they're able to get away with it because it's not like the Sermon on the Mount that we can read and get. Ezekiel is, wow. There are several streams of Orthodox Judaism that will not allow anyone under 30 from reading Ezekiel because they think it'll mess up the brain. Ezekiel is Picasso as a prophet. Uh, and it's difficult, man. And there's good in there that you can really pull out. But anybody that looks at me and goes, oh, yeah, I'm really, I got that. I'm not sure I'm going to trust them about anything else. But there are other passages we could go through as well. The Bible is not always easy to understand. And it has some things in there which are confusing. Some seem contradictory. Some are contradictory. We've talked some about that in our Monday morning messages over the last couple of months. There are... Um, there are disagreements, and then there are some just impenetrables. Now, if you read Isaiah knowing the history of Israel, and really the interplay between the political, the spiritual, and the personal in every age, Isaiah can make sense. But here's an Ethiopian eunuch. Now, he may not have known all of the history. He may not have understood who Isaiah was, how the book was edited over time, how things were used. He may not have known any of this. So he goes, I, no, I can't. Please be aware of this. Most of your neighbors have never read the Bible even if they go to church every Sunday. How do I know that? Because most of you haven't. And if you did, you read it at, as, a, as an exercise. You know, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, which, by the way, is very commendable. I'm not knocking that. But reading the Bible through the year does not mean that you've understood its context. The histories, the languages, the peoples that were all around it and formed the very words you see on the page. Therefore, we need experts. I've been, um, it's about a year ago now, I did a special Who Told You about uh, on, a, on a Monday morning that was Who Told Me? Uh, somebody goes, well, where are you getting your information? I said, great question. And so I did a special one with a big pile of books. And I said, here's where you start. But every one of these books has a bibliography. You go to those books. Every one of those books has a bibliography. You go to those books. And if you're thinking, oh, Patrick, you've not done that. You don't know Patrick. <laughs> this, I don't have a lot of skills. I can't fix your toaster. I have no idea how to plant that bush. But I, um, I do read between two and three books a week and have since I was a small boy. The only gift I've really got is the ability to read, remember, and then reassemble and use things and, and put it into different forms. So I live for data. I love data. And there are some places in the Bible 
that without other people doing the hard work, sometimes literally digging it out of the ground, teaching me a word that I did not know before that comes from Akkadian or Chaldean or Hebrew, showing me a people I'd never heard of before, that I could not understand what this book means. Your neighbors look upon the Bible, some of them do, as a holy book, but a very confusing book and a book that is not often open during the week, except to favorite stories or favorite Psalms. I would even tell you that that's not a bad thing. Read what you can read, read what you can understand. But if you get to a point that you don't understand, ask questions. That's what he did. So the eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. It comes from Isaiah 53. Um, very often Isaiah is called a messianic prophet because he speaks of Jesus so often. And chapter 53, Jesus is, he permeates every verse of the book. The eunuch was reading this passage. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. I want to go back to verse 31 again, that how can I know unless someone explain it to me? The eunuch was at a certain place in his spiritual journey where he was searching and he was reading. That's why that question was answered in the way that it was. Philip beginning to start there and opening up to him Jesus. With most of the people that I meet, they're not there yet. They're not reading the scripture and having questions. They are looking at the world and they have questions. They're looking at their life and they have questions. Or even beyond, before that, before they have questions, they're seeing needs. They're seeing injustices, they're seeing gaps, they're seeing things that should not be and put that in underlines and quotations. And they're wondering why. And they're not ready for a sermon and they're certainly not going to be settled by you going and say you ought to go to church with me or you should watch our safe harbor please do um, please bring this up we really want to try to double our our viewership but and that's not for us it's so we can keep doing this because um, it, it does cost a lot in funds but it also wears out the ministers we have one for each slot and we have no backup so it'd be nice to be able to ch you know, change that anyway I talk to them about their need. I do everything I can to, to do something about the need. And when they ask me why, or that we began to talk, then they find out I'm a minister. Or with you, maybe not being a minister, they'll find out you're a Christian. And you don't have to be pushy about it. People will ask. People will want to know. I, sometimes this has taken years and years and years before I got somebody to they even ask the first question. But it, they would not have asked at all if I'd not come alongside their chariot, gotten myself around them, and paid attention to who was along the way. Instead of always thinking of the destination, who's here? And why am I here at this place at this time? So Philip teaches them about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, 
and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. We'll stop there for a moment. Because I got a couple of things. One, I was raised with a different Bible. Uh, we were told the American Standard Version of 1901 was the most accurate version and therefore the one we should use. We were almost as dedicated to that version as the King James only people are to that one. And it, it was because, and it was, it was a super accurate translation, but the problem was it wasn't a good manuscript and it had additions and deletions. So if you read out of the American Standard Version of 1901, you'll see in here, Philip will then say, if you believe, you may be baptized. And the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And then they baptize him. Now that confession we used, and I still use some, some form of that because it's a great confession of faith, but it's not in any early manuscript. Somehow that got added in later. Sometimes people wrote things in the margins as they were copying, and sometimes the margins got into the book. Now, nothing in there is going to, ever going to mess with your salvation, so let's not worry about that. But it does happen. Now, the New American Standard Version doesn't have that problem. Uh, it, it used a much better manuscript, and it is very accurate. It's so accurate in its translation of, of verbs that it can be difficult to read. Uh, there will be verb forms such as shall have been this that we don't really use often and therefore for the general reader it can be a little tough but we have the NIV of 2001 the new revised standard version excellent excellent version there are so many out there you can find a way to read just wanted to bring up why that verse wasn't there if you grew up with that verse it's not there because it wasn't there but here's another. Talking about Jesus, what did the eunuch want to do? Be baptized. Why? Because he was convinced that he was a horrible sinner? Maybe. In Acts chapter 2, that they, they, they were convinced that they had killed the Christ and they were guilty of this. So they were sinners, men and brethren. What shall we do? But that wasn't the only pe reason people were baptized back then. Baptism was a known thing. You were baptized to cleanse yourself. Generally speaking, you did that on your own. You'd walk down into the pool, you'd duck down under, you'd do ritual um, washing, letting the water drip off, and you'd walk out the other end. Uh, these were very often carved down into the stone. Sometimes they were purpose-built structures. And you would do that every time that you felt a need to cleanse yourself, not physically, but spiritually as a sign to God that you were cleansing yourself. But it was even more common, and in some circles, to baptize yourself to your rabbi, your leader. Paul would write later in the, to the Corinthians, you know, were you baptized into Paul or into Apollos? You, know, you were baptized to Christ. I, I really, I'm not a betting individual, but if I was, I would put money on that Ethiopian eunuch was at this time a faithful Jew. Look at the trip he'd made to worship. And now he was convinced that Christ was a promised Messiah and he wanted to follow the Messiah. Were his sins forgiven at baptism? I believe so. I think that's what scripture teaches. But his motivation was probably more for, I am ready to follow the one 
this prophet was speaking of in chapter 53. I believe the prophecies have come true. I now follow Jesus. One of the songs we would sing before we baptize people in, in Scotland, because um, you'd baptize them in the North Sea, uh, the Irish Sea, and that can, that's a bit cold, it's a little chilly. Uh, we'd stand on the shore and sing, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And that was the baptism song. I'm being baptized into Christ. I'm in his name, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm all in, he's my rabbi, he's my teacher. I will be a disciple of Christ forever. I really see him doing this. But I have another question for my precision obedience friends. I'll explain. There are many, many churches that teach, sorry, I'm gonna have to do this. All of those are um, uh, spam calls. <laughs> every single one we had to have a phone put into the office so there we are anyway that said it was a package deal that said precision obedience people say well you have to obey christ with precision so worship has to be exactly like this and when we say things we have to phrase it like this and whenever you behave you have to behave like this and that precision is what God requires. I have a question. The eunuch came out of the, of the water, did not see Philip again, so the teaching had ended, and he went on his way rejoicing. Why? Why was he rejoicing? This is not a throwaway question. I'm looking for an answer, and here's why. Why would he be rejoicing when he's saved right now, but he's not gonna be within days? He will lose that salvation, he will be lost, he'll go down into perdition, whatever form you teach that is. Why? Well, he didn't know how to set up a church with elders and deacons and what the rules are and what their qualifications are. He doesn't know what kind of music God likes. He doesn't know how to do the Lord's Supper. He doesn't know how to do any of those things that you, in fact, he might even wear shorts and play cards. I'm not really sure. Um, he, he might dance. We have no idea what failures await this man because he has a book of Isaiah, but he may and most likely has no other book. In fact, most likely even has just a portion of Isaiah. You did not travel with books, though they were too rare, too expensive. They were guarded. In fact, we even used to chain Bibles all the way up through the Middle Ages, chain Bibles to pulpits because you could not let them loose because you're not gonna get another one. And so he doesn't know any of this. And in fact, by this time, most of the books of the New Testament hadn't even been written. So, what does he know? And if you are saying by, it's by precision obedience that we are saved, what you have to do then is you, and I've heard this from many people, well, I'm sure the Lord provided that the books and the teachings made their way to Ethiopia. Really? And upon what do you base that? Well, well, you know, there's nothing. There's no sign that any of that occurred. There's a form of Christianity in Ethiopia. It doesn't look like Christianity that you've got, but they're very devout. They have a priesthood. 
they guard their little churches that are generally built in underground out of stone. Uh, very fascinating. They uh, consider themselves the most ancient church, but they don't have the books of the New Testament that you've got. And if they got down there, don't you think they would have tried to save them, protect them somehow, use them? Are we saved by grace through faith in Christ? Or are we saved by that plus our effort, precision, and perfection in understanding knowledge and practice? If the latter, the Ethiopian eunuch was a fool to go on his way rejoicing. If the former, you and I need to drop the man-made rules that we claim come from scripture and just follow Jesus as our rabbi. I think that's probably a good way to stop. The chapter ends just by saying, Philip, however, appeared at Azotus, traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Then we're gonna step away from Philip. And our new player, who's already entered the story, is now gonna become the story that changes the rest of the book of Acts. But that is next week. Hope you have a great week. Thank you for watching. Please share with others that our worship is there, uh, our, um, our Monday morning messages are there, and that this is here. By the way, just so you know, we're good with you adding this if you're already going to a church. Many of our people do that. They watch during the week. But there are also people who have house churches that only use the worship, for example. They only use the music or they only use my sermon. That's fine too. However we can serve you, let us know. And if you've got a group watching in your house, would you let me know that? And if possible, I'd like to come say hello. All right, God bless. Cheers. Well, open with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 22. Today we're going to be in two chapters, Acts chapter